0: and this is Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. And if you haven't heard Hidden Brain, you should probably stop this, go subscribe to Hidden Brain, and then come on back, uh, because it's really, really excellent. And this episode that I'm going to reference today is called Check Yourself, and it's about checklists, um, of all things. And what it got me thinking about, it got me thinking about a few things, but one of the major parallels that I found with the topics covered in this podcast um, was to my thoughts on course analysis for dog agility. So the podcast covered how the implementation of effective checklists have saved lives in a lot of different areas, but particularly in hospital practices and in flying of airplanes, so using checklists uh, for pilots to make sure that they cover all their bases and keep everybody safe. And then also checklists to make sure um, that patients are safe from infection and other disasters during hospital stays or during surgery uh, were the topic of discussion, and while that might seem like it has absolutely nothing to do with dog agility, you'd be amazed at the fact that in truth, everything has something to do with dog agility, at least if you ask me. And so it got me really thinking about what I think of as effective course analysis and also effective course execution. So do I actually sit down and make a checklist every time I analyze a course? I don't, but have a process that speaks to uh, this checklist idea. What was talked about on Hidden Brain was a couple of key things that make a checklist effective. So one of them is um, number of items on the list because the human brain can only hold hold so many items at once. Um, And then also you know, so we want to make sure that there are enough items that the person doesn't think they can just wing it. Okay. Cause if there's like three things on the checklist for the pilot, he's just going to say, I remember all three of those and I don't need to look at my list. And then also making sure that there aren't too many because we do also need the pilot to, um, not be overwhelmed by the list and feel burdened by the list. Uh, the same goes for a surgical team and anybody else really working where high stakes are involved. We want to make sure that the effective checklists are at play. So I have this method um, that I call, I just call it um, points of excellence. So I like to identify what I call points of excellence on course anytime I look at a course. And I want to have points of excellence throughout the course, no matter how easy or difficult the course is. And I wanna have a point of excellence about every five to eight obstacles, no more, no less, Um, because as stated in the podcast, the human brain can only hold about five to eight items at a time. So if you break the course into chunks of five to eight, and they're broken up by your points of excellence, you'll be able to effectively memorize those pieces of the course um, and then before you move on to the next one. So if you've got a 20 obstacle course and you have a point of excellence about every five obstacles, you're looking at four points of excellence that are going to break up this course. And to me, that tends to work really well. So I like about every five obstacles. Or I might do, you know, a couple that are sandwiched a little closer, like maybe with two obstacles in between. And then I might go 10 obstacles before my next point of excellence. But essentially I like to look at the course, identify my points of excellence, and then move through the course as if I would move through a checklist. So let's say jumps one through three and then at three, I've got a point of excellence being decelerate at three. Okay. Done point of excellence. And then maybe I'm going to move on all the way up to obstacle seven, where I'm going to make eye contact with my dog point of excellence. And then I might move through to obstacle 15. And at obstacle 15, I might have decided that my point of excellence was simply to connect and rotate, um, to a certain visual barrier for me. So I would say, you know, I'm going to rotate until I see this wing, um, in my periphery and that would be a point of excellence. So basically and so on and so forth, and whatever your handling system is or however you uh, train and handle agility, you can have different points of excellence in there. You can have a point of excellence involve a verbal cue, involve a hand cue, um, involve your feet, really anything. Um, I've certainly had points of excellence involve just breathing and making eye contact with my dog. And that could be just on the pause table. That could be on a two-on, two-off, you know, things like that. But what I then do through the course is I move through my points of excellence, like I would move through a checklist. So it's just check, 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 and then we're done, as opposed to trying to think of all 20 obstacles at once, as opposed to trying to think of the cue or any other kind of outcome that I have actually no control over. I'm thinking of something I do have control over, which is hitting all the points on my list. and In my case, those are going to be points of excellence. Um, What struck me in the podcast, uh, the Hidden Brain podcast that I was listening to, as being similar to what I'm talking about here, is that for the surgeons and the pilots, um, for which these things were kind of implemented, it was really important that the checklist went along with kind of the culture of the work that the people were doing. So that comes back to, like I said, you could use any kinds of points of excellence that have to do with your system or your training style. So, you know, If you train in a motion-based handling system, you might think about um, a specific motion cue that you want to be giving your dog at a specific point, and that could be your point of excellence. If you use a lot of verbal cues or you train a lot of verbal cues, um, again, like I said, those could be involved in your points of excellence. If I said to somebody who competes in NADAC only, And they use a lot of big distance handling. If I said to that person to involve a point of excellence that involved, um, proximity or close proximity to the dog, as a lot of my points of excellence might, because I tend to handle closer to my dog, that wouldn't make sense for them. And they would probably, you know, want to buck the checklist or buck this idea. So the checklist in order to be effective for you has got to fit into the culture of what you're doing as well. So that's really important. So for me, it's about points of excellence for you. It could be about something else. Um, it could easily be about, you know, different arm signals, feet signals, um, verbal signals. It could be about your mental game. It could, it could just be about, you know, I'm going to take three deep breaths on the table. It could be about, um, you know, I'm going to have a specific response to my dog when she hits her two on, two off or doesn't hit her two on, two off. So it's really important that it fits into the culture of what you are doing. And especially if you're going to implement this with students or maybe other people that you know in agility, you want to make sure that you're not freshering them into some kind of thing that's just going to feel overwhelming to them. Um, it also might not work out so hot for somebody to try to do this. If they've already got a system that's working for them in the case of the pilots and the surgeons that were talked about in the hidden brain episode, we're talking about hospitals and, um, you know, flight operations that wanted to improve, wanted to decrease death, decrease, uh, risk taking and increase success If you're already winning at a very high level and, you know, really happy with your current system, I am not going to step in and say, you want to adopt this system. Adopting a checklist type system is going to have a lot more to do with, um, a person who would actually like to improve. I think most people would like to improve. And so that's you know, that's kind of what I think about when I bring these kinds of things up. I don't think there are very many people who don't want to do better at their current sport, but, um, anyway, I think it's a really interesting podcast. You guys should go listen to it and you might give this a try the next time you're, you know, at an agility trial or running a course. And if you do, Let me know about it. Have a conversation over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. You can find that by searching on Facebook for Cog-Dog Radio. And go ahead and just start up a conversation. There's a good community over there and you guys can talk about it. And I hope to see you over there. Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.